Hey, everybody. Welcome to our Week in Review. I am Stephan Cox, along with the chair of the King County Democrats, Shasti Conrad. And this week, we have our friend Rich Smith, who writes for The Stranger. So we're going to devote this entire week to talking about what the hell happened in Olympia this session. And we're going to try and pack as much as we possibly can into 40 minutes or so. Before we do, I want to take a moment to acknowledge that our dear friend Shasti won not one, but two Polly Awards. Very exciting, Shasti. That's awesome. Congratulations. Thank you very much. They call them the Oscars of political consulting. Uh, so, well, um, did they I allow never, you to actually do a speech before playing you off? Right? No, no, it was just a very uh, pretty poorly done, uh, you know, YouTube Zoom type of type of oh, thing. Regular Oscars then, like this <laughs> yeah. year's regular Oscars. Yeah, yeah, yeah basically, yeah, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, but there's going to be a fun in-person award ceremony in Vegas in October. So. Uh, Hopefully we don't get, you know, another phase four or something. Uh, Apparently people are flocking to Vegas already. So they're, they're, they're blazing a trail for you right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, so let's just jump in and talk about this year's session. Uh, we know that because of the pandemic, the session had to mostly be online. So for efficiency's sake, the Democratic caucus tried to focus on four general areas. It was a climate, the pandemic, economic recovery and progressive revenue and racial equity and police accountability. We obviously can't go over everything. So we're just going to focus on progressive revenue and police accountability. And I'll just ask you first, uh, how do we think that having everything online changed the dynamics of this session? Rich, you covered this the, this session quite a bit. What, what do you think? How did, how did being online change things? It changed, uh, it changed everything. It changed a lot. Um, uh, first and foremost, it changed the number of bills that uh, they could feasibly pass because the House did a fully online session with uh, most discussions and caucusing happening um, on like Microsoft. Well, I can't remember Microsoft's meeting thing, but via Zoom-like applications. <laughs> and then the Senate did a, a sort of hybrid. And um, uh, early on in the, in, the, in the pandemic before session started, Senator Karen Kaiser told me she'd be surprised if they would pass uh, 200 bills. They ended up passing, uh, I think, well over 300, maybe close to, to 350. Um, so the number of bills that they could uh, pass changed. Uh, that's lower than I think uh, has ever been passed during a long session before. But the, I guess you could say quality of the bills uh, changed. There's not a lot of... Um, uh, uh, we're in a lot of fluffy bills, not tons of drivers, drivers, uh, plates, bills, stuff like that. Um, and then there was the thing that the Republicans complained a lot about, which was the lack of people being able to uh, testify uh, in person. Um, though the remote session allowed people to testify online, which brought in probably more like in terms of numbers of people uh, participating in testimony um, uh, that have ever happened, you know, uh, before or, you know, probably very large amounts. And certainly from outside of um, uh, Olympia, a lot of people have trouble getting to Olympia from uh, over the mountains. And so being able to just kind of say you like a bill or not uh, from the comfort of your own uh, uh, broadband internet connection uh, was, a, was a boon. But uh, Republicans... And I think some Democrats also also sort of bemoan the lack of uh, being able to look your constituents in the eye and uh, and make legislation, you know, IRL. Uh, also, a lot of negotiations uh, happen in the halls of Olympia, little pull-asides, you know, um, you can kind of... It, 
go into somebody's office and, and take care of something real quick, uh, setting up those kinds of meetings and, and remote session uh, was, was more difficult. And so there was perhaps a little bit less of a, you know, I mean, there's obviously less physical communication. And so uh, some stuff uh, couldn't get done, but um, th- th- that was, that was pretty much, that's pretty much what I can remember uh, <laughs> of what, uh, what lawmakers complained about uh, and embraced. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there was a lot of uh, good, a lot of bad that, that that came out of it on on both sides. One of the things that I found hilarious in your coverage, when in your wrap up, was you mentioned that the GOP uh, blamed their inability to get anything done on the remote session, and that they also decided to have their own little award show about this. Yes, you know, they they the they are taking uh, the sort of national Republican uh, line of uh, you know, trying to accuse the ruling party. Uh, in this case, in Washington, uh, Democrats of uh, hyper-partisanship. They're trying to blow this up uh, to suggest that the remote set session uh, created this uh, you know, more partisan bills uh, than ever. Uh, and uh, then to highlight that fact, the Washington's version of the Freedom Caucus, I think they just stole the name. I think they're just the, the, the Freedom Caucus in Washington, <laughs> uh, produced a, a pretty uh, p- pathetic but almost sweet uh, fake award ceremony called the Gallup and Gerties, hosted by uh, Ferndale's very own Eric Erickson, who I, I think is basically just angling for an anchor Fox News position at, at some point. Um, but yeah, they where they, you know, I think for half an hour kind of went over the gave awards to the bills that they thought were uh, the worst. It was him, Patton, Phil Fortunato, just absolute. They're, they're fun. They're fun to watch, but it was just a little sad. You know, they had to do something. They, <laughs> they did, they did lose a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sounds like an all-star lineup. Um, you know, Shasti, uh, uh, Rich was just talking about how, you know, one of the things that was cool about this session was the accessibility. Are there some things that you hope that, they actually keep from this year's session uh, when we are no longer on like pandemic lockdown. I mean, I loved that there was the ability to participate remotely and to testify. I mean, like Rich said, I mean, the, the, the numbers of people who could sign in to testify were like record breaking for almost every like in committee hearings and, 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 you know, sort of all of the opportunities for the public to be able to participate having that remote option made such a huge difference. I actually participated for the first time in giving testimony um, because I didn't have to travel down to Olympia. And, um, you know, it, I, it, it really does make a huge difference. It's so much more accessible. Um, and it just, I thought that that was fantastic. Um, so I hope they keep that. Yeah, I hope they do too. Um, it actually, you know, kind of put the demos back in democracy. Um, so let's jump in and talk about uh, some of the bills that did get passed and some of the things that didn't. Um, uh, we were going to talk about police accountability first. We saw a lot get done here, especially uh, by second term Representative Jesse Johnson. Let's start with his bill limiting police tactics. So, Rich, just give us a, a quick rundown. What ultimately made it into this bill and then what got kicked down the road for maybe next session? Yeah, the bill includes um, uh, a sort of, yeah, a bunch of uh, police tactics that are either banned or restricted in some way. Um, the bans include a ban on chokeholds, no-knock warrants, uh, shooting from uh, at a moving car, and um, and 
and and cops can only use tear gas if uh, a politician a, a, if a politician uh, says that they can. So the accountability falls on you know perhaps the mayor uh, in, in Seattle's case uh, ju- ju- jumps to mind. I do uh, like the idea of them being only authorized to use tear gas on politicians. Though. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, it just makes, it just makes clear who's making the call. Uh, <laughs> it was a, a matter of some dispute over the summer, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, there was there's also some uh, limitations in there on when you can or when cops can uh, initiate uh, a high speed vehicle chase, uh, which uh, can can be uh, deadly. Uh, and then they instead of banning sicking dogs on people, uh, they set up a work group to decide when you can and can't sick a dog on a person. Uh, and so there was a. Uh, I think that, that that's a, that's most of what's in the bill. I might be leaving out a, a couple of things. Well, you know, you, you talk about the, uh, the discussion around sicking dogs on people, which just sounds so very, very basic. And it's just a, it's, it's a watering down of what should obviously be in the bill. And I think that speaks to the frustration, Shasti, that you know, we've talked about this before, that, that, you know, Democrats are maybe prioritizing these bipartisan type uh, uh, compromises when we worked super hard <laughs> to win the majority for a reason, right? So, I mean, what would be your advice to progressives hoping to push for more of these measures in next year's session and to keep them intact? Yeah, which is like, I mean, don't don't relent. Um, and I think, you know, it. we're lucky that we have, um, you know, a state legislature that meets uh, every year. Um, there are some states where they only meet once every two years. But, you know, it is it's wild to me that, you know, a size a state our size has this part-time state legislature and it's like if you get a good idea in june good luck you know maybe six months later it'll still be something that they'll want to pursue so i think as progressives you need to a think if your state legislature state legislators were on the right side of things like if they helped to pass the cap gains tax if they stood up for the climate if they stood up for these police accountability bills say thank you like not we don't we don't say thank you enough. We don't appreciate our elected officials who are you know putting themselves on the line enough when they do the right thing. Start there and then keep pushing. You know and like they're supposed to spend the next you know six to nine months in district meeting with constituents, making sure that they are reflecting um, what their communities need and want. And so you know let's not wait till they're up for election next year keep doing that all this year um and and you know and and also work with community organizations that are leading the way on getting you know these incredible um bills passed and whatnot and getting them developed and refined so just progressives just we have to stay engaged um there's no time for rest we have to keep going Yep, uh, I agree 100%. Thank you, legislators. Keep pushing, uh, work with community uh, organizations. I mean, legislators, as you say, work in the offseason, so so should we. Um, I also want to talk about Johnson's uh, use of force standard bill. This is 1310. It basically creates a standard for when police officers can use deadly force. Rich, what actually changed here fundamentally in our state's law on this? Well, now instead of having a kind of patchwork of what use of force means and how it can be um, um, uh, disciplined, uh, it creates a statewide standard and says no matter what department you're in, you are legally obligated to use use of force as a last resort. That is, you are you have to, when possible, the language goes, um, try to de-escalate, uh, and so it prevents a patchwork of um, uh, of 
a, a patchwork standard. Yeah. Uh, we know that there was significant opposition uh, to this bill from law enforcement groups, um, also Republicans like Brad Clippert, Mike Patton. Um, and, you know, even though um, Seattle Police Department continues to do things like gun down a mentally ill man in February and use tear gas on peaceful protesters, uh, a Seattle Public Safety Survey uh, recently showed that the majority of the people uh, in the city still view them as legitimate it seems, again, like progressives had a lot of work to do here. Um, we need to, I think, and this is this kind of just loops back to what you were talking about uh, just a second ago. We have to do the work to drive home why this use of force standard is absolutely necessary. How should we talk about this, do you think? I mean, I think, you know, we, we have to just remain focused on the idea that, um, you know, the current law enforcement, the current structure around law enforcement um, they're not actually living up to their oath to protect and serve. Um, and that it's, you know, it's not just about making, you know, that the entire institution is, is bad. Um, but that the polling continues to show that these people just like that the folks who are not fully in support, they just like, they're not quite there yet. And I think sometimes we get wrapped around the axle about what term to use. So we get like, instead of talking about, you know, different ways in which to engage with law enforcement to structure law enforcement, we uh, get stuck on whether we should say defund or not defund mm -hmm. abolish don't say the word at all um and so i think we just have to keep pushing and to hold up um to make sure that folks are holding up their end of the bargain um and that we are weeding out officers who are undermining public safety and public trust in law enforcement i think um you know we can't get too complacent when you get like a, Sh a chauvin verdict of guilty and, you know, in the same hour you get the death of another black, um, young black person. Um, and we, you know, just this past week, we had another, uh, law, uh, officer engaged shooting. Um, so, you know, it's just, we have to just keep pushing and, um, and try not to let the language be the thing that becomes the barrier between those of us who can see it and those of us who aren't there yet. It also brings up, you're 100% right on all of that. Um, and I think it also brings up issues of enforcement. I always think about this because we know that we have, you know, uh, we had I-940 on the books for a long time and that wasn't being enforced. Um, and so, uh, Rich, I'll just ask you, was there anything done in session to give the bills that did pass some accountability, some teeth? Yes, uh, I think that um, you know the, the top priorities uh, for advocates were uh, to end qualified immunity uh, in the state so that people could sue cops um, when they violate people's civil rights, uh, and then also um, a bill that would um, limit the ability for cop uh, unions to bargain away uh, accountability measures that did pass those uh, bans on. Um, no knock warrants, uh, the bans on um, or the you know, restrictions on tear gas, uh, etc. Uh, all of those uh, can get uh, bargained away uh, at, at, at the you know whenever they negotiate their contracts uh, or discipline. You know they can be they can be severely weakened. Those things didn't pass. Um, the state took another path, uh, which was to overhaul the oh my god I keep forgetting the name of it the Criminal Justice Training Commission uh, and um, and then give it more teeth. So uh, it added, I think now the commission is going to be 21 people, all governor appointed. Uh, instead of having more cops uh, on that commission, there'll be more civilians. And then there's also a bunch of lawyers. Uh, 
And that uh, commission will have the ability to proactively uh, investigate uh, police misconduct um, uh, statewide uh, before they only had the ability to um, uh, to go in and investigate after a decision was made. Um, that uh, group, that commission, will also be able to decertify a cop, uh, basically remove the cop's professional license if they screw up. Uh, and that puts Washington ahead of the curve, uh, I think, you know, in, in the nation in terms of um, uh, in terms of enforcement. That doesn't mean that the cop will not be able to be a police officer in Idaho, <laughs> but right. be a police officer here and um, and it will prevent them, you know, bad cops from jumping from department to department whenever they face disciplinary action. Uh, the governor's office um, or the office of inspector. Oh, God. What is it? Yeah, the, the, there's another uh, office of independent investigations that will take uh, charge uh, of investigations throughout the state too, starting in 2022. And um, uh, but that you know they don't have they they have more of as far as I understand a, a fact finding uh, kind of uh, uh, mission and uh, don't have as much teeth as the other commission I was talking about. So uh, strong accountability measures, uh, certainly, but not uh, the absolute strongest. Well, and so uh, once again, there's still more work to do. I mean, you talk about the decertification um, uh, language and, and, and bill, and it's, it really speaks to the need for uh, maybe a national standard on this because it's like, <laughs> yeah, sure, we can uh, decertify a cop here in Washington, but yeah, like you said, they can go and work in Idaho. Um, Shasti, again, how, how do we keep up the pressure on this? Because it's just so damn important. What, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, you know, we just have to keep putting the spotlight on this issue and not move on because it's not over. Um, transparency is key. Um, Melissa Santos from Crosscut just did a really powerful, um, you know, award-winning piece of journalism around um, all of the, um, you know, is there, I think, I think it was like 200 officers have had complaints against them in the, uh, Seattle area. And, you know, like that is incredible, but it would be nice if we didn't have to, if she didn't have to write something like that for people to believe this. Um, so we have to just keep, um, you know, holding our leaders accountable. Uh, also, as Rich was just saying, a number of these bills were about creating different ways and to collect data and like creating offices where we can track this stuff. And, you know, to the sort of lay person, maybe that seems kind of like not enough and lame, but I think collecting the data is incredibly important because it helps, you know, then it helps with being able to uh, support the na the narratives that are out there. Of like, no, this is actually happening. Um, we were just talking about the Oscars uh, earlier and, you know, Trayvon Free, who won uh, for a short about two distant strangers, said three people are killed by police violence every single day. And I thought it was so powerful when he said, like, three people will die today. Three people will die tomorrow. Three people will die the next day. And when we have numbers like that and we have the data, it makes it harder and harder for people to say to be indifferent. And so we have to just keep keep pushing um, and making sure that we have the data we have a spotlight on it and that we never stop talking about it until we have this actually uh, solved. Transparency data. It's yeah, it's all of a piece. Rich, there was one other bill I, I thought you might want to uh, mention and that was uh, Senator Dingra's bill, the, uh, the, the duty to intervene bill. Um, just uh, talk about that just uh, very briefly. 
Yeah, it just requires cops if they see some misconduct, uh, if they see you know, their partner or another cop uh, engaging in misconduct or they've got uh, a knee on the neck for eight minutes or nine minutes, then they have to they have a, a legal obligation to intervene, which seems useful. I, these, these reforms are, are, are strong and good, but they they seem a little bit after the fact, you know, you, you don't want to in a piecemeal fashion, you know, ban this tactic and this tactic and this tactic. And then only then after it's been used, you know, countless number of times uh, on, uh, you know, on, largely on uh, people of color and black people. So it, it's, uh, it's, you just don't want to, I, I, one wishes there was a more proactive way <laughs> to go about uh, banning these uh, tactics uh, rather than a, a reactive way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And, you know, I think it, it's just good to bear in mind, and this is uh, one of the messages that we took away from the the Derek Chauvin verdict, that, you know, while all of these may add up to accountability, they do not equal justice. Um, there's a, a long road to go. And, and as you say, Rich, um, it's frustrating that we're piecemealing this. You know, you, it, it feels like it needs to be something that is 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 done uh, in, in, in a more uh, whole uh, whole cloth kind of way. Um, well, and, and if, if I could just interrupt, I mean, uh, you know, arbitrator, you know, when this discipline, when these officers end up getting disciplined through any of these accountability um, uh, measures, you know, some of it is subject to, to arbitration. And so uh, the decision of a police chief to fire one officer, for instance, uh, could be overturned uh, by arbitrators. There was some work done to um, uh, uh, kind of make a better pool of arbitrators uh, that can overturn these decisions and to train those uh, arbitrators. I think uh, Senator Joe Wynn uh, passed that bill, but you know, nevertheless, you know, there, as long as, you know, the police union is still strong, as long as we're still thinking of cops as just another uh, worker and uh, giving them the same, you know, rights as any other bargaining unit, um, then uh, it's going to be harder to really make these reforms uh, kind of stick, which is why, yeah, people should be able to sue, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and and why? I yeah. I was going. Yeah, no, I completely I, agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, you know, you you mentioned that the police unions and the, the everybody's terrified of police unions, and I, I think that's maybe a, a, probably a topic for another show. But I do want to uh, switch over now and talk about uh, the second block here of of things that we wanted to. Uh, breakdown from this year's session, which is the economic recovery side of things. There was a big push this year to really once and for all try to address Washington's famously regressive tax structure. Uh, capital gains tax was the big headline of the session. Um, let's just break this one down briefly, uh, Rich. What ended up in the bill and what didn't? Yeah, so it's a 7% tax on the uh, sale or on the, on the profit of sales of capital gains over $250,000. And um, the, those capital gains, uh, the thing that you're selling um, was it, 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 stocks and bonds is the easiest way uh, to describe it. Uh, some uh, uh, and, and some large businesses, uh, basically, as well. Uh, so the, when you sell those things, there's going to be a 7% tax on profits over $250,000. The bill uh, will raise, uh, I think, close to $6 billion uh, over the course of the next 10 years. And um, all that money is going to dump into uh, education and child care funds um, to save those, you know, uh, our chronically underfunded education system here in Washington and uh, our uh, uh 
broken childcare system. So, yeah, I mean, it's the, the, in your reporting, you kind of mentioned it's, it's not everything we hope for, but it's it's certainly it's a step in the right direction. And it, it begs the question uh, why this has taken so long to get through. This is something that Democrats have been working on for, I think, over a decade at this point. We've had the majority since the special election in 2017. Shasti, why do you think it took so long to pass? I think two reasons. Um, number one is that we had uh, we had different types of Democrats. We had more progressive Democrats who were in uh, who were elected last last year, who were able to sort of push in a different way. I think also the pandemic and everything that we have gone through for this past year rightfully made people wake up and say we cannot keep going at the rate that we've been going, and we have to start holding you know billionaires accountable. I mean the fact that but, you know, and we have, I think, what, seven of the top 10 billionaires um, in this in this state that live that have houses here. You know, the fact that they all benefited and made more money, they made more money than we could ever dream of during the pandemic. While you have people who are facing eviction in a month who are hungry, who are died. I'm like, like there's such that massive um, inequality you have you had to deal with it. And I think that that did make a big difference. And I do really think that it made a big difference that we had different types of uh, Democratic legislators who are willing to push. Um, we still, you know, need more uh, different types of lived experiences in the state legislature. You know, there aren't enough renters that are represented down there. Um, and they've, you know, they water down um, provisions on like second homes and things like that, um, you know, in part because, they're not impacted in the same way that uh, most of most other people are. So, yeah, I mean, here, here on all of that, that brings up two points. We worked very hard to get more progressives and more diverse progressives into the legislature. And I think the job is not done because, as you say, uh, a, a lot of people, you, you, you really, because it's a part time legislature, you have to be of means or you have to have a job that allow you to do it. And so that sort of limits uh, the kinds of people who can actually take the job. Um, you know, we know that a number of progressive taxation bills did not make it through rich, like, for example, um, Noel Frames uh, wealth tax. What were some others? Yeah, there was a uh, wealth tax that comp contemplated um, a statewide payroll tax. Um, there's always the uh, making the estate tax a little bit more progressive. Um, you already said the wealth tax. Am I forgetting another tax? I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. There's excess uh, compensation tax. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that was proposed this year, but yeah, last year, the year before, I think Senator Joe Wynn also proposed an excess compensation tax that might've come back up. I'm not sure just uh, based on the uh, limited number of bills that lawmakers were allowed to to file this year, but yeah, th th that's a, that's a tax that gets thrown around, you know, and, and, and these uh, taxes get raised um, or brought up or considered because the state famously has uh, the most progressive tax code in the country. So our poorest uh, residents pay a higher percentage of their wage uh, or their tax, uh, sorry, a higher percentage of their income in uh, taxes uh, compared to, to the wealthy. It's an, it's, it's a wild disparity. I think it's something like, you know, uh, uh, oh, I, 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 it's like they pay six times more uh, of their income than, than wealthier people, uh, poor people do when it comes to uh, taxes, relatively speaking. So it's, um, there's a real effort there uh, to, to write that uh, lopsided uh, code. 
Yeah. And I mean, we don't have an income tax here and it's this will take things in the right direction. Uh, but there's still so much more to do on progressive taxation. I just, I'll ask you, uh, do you think that getting cap gains across the finish line gives any momentum to these other bills, uh, progressive taxation bills for next session? I think, well, I mean, a lot of it depends. So the, the, the answer to that question is, uh, yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I think um, a lot of it depends on what happens in the court with the capital gains tax. Uh, the court has an opportunity, well, will have an opportunity um, to decide whether or not um, the state's uh, law that treats uh, income uh, as property and therefore prevents a progressive uh, income tax from being implemented uh, should still stand or not. Uh, Republicans think that you know progressives have taken over the Supreme Court and so they're going to overturn that law, which would allow the state to start contemplating a um, uh, an income tax or finally uh, implementing some kind of progressive tax uh, and get with the time so that the recovery isn't built on the backs of of the poorest residents um, if that becomes the case then uh, yeah uh, I think um, or, or even if it doesn't then yeah they'll be looking at um, the those other taxes as ways to uh, help balance the the tax code uh, oh and we should also consider that 2023 will mark the end of uh, Seattle Rep. Noelle Frame's tax structure work group. Uh, she and a Republican Senator Keith Wagner, another just premium all-star, uh, have been kind of touring around the, the, the state, um, holding town halls, asking people to talk about the tax code, what taxes feel particularly burdensome uh, to them, uh, which aren't. That's going to start a, a big conversation about how uh, we should completely overhaul the state's um, uh, tax structure. So I think you're going to see a lot more of those taxes kind of in more serious consideration in um, the next time that the uh, legislature meets full of, for a, a full session, which will be in 2023. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that work group and see what kind of comes out of that. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that cap gains is already facing litigation. Uh, this begs a question for a lot of people. Um, should we be, you know, spending that much time and energy on, on passing these policies that are just going to get tied up or p potentially overturned in courts? I mean, Chastity, what do we think? I mean, yeah, we have to absolutely do. We have to call their bluff. We have to, I mean, it, you know, we have to keep fighting for this. And we saw this, um, last year around like the sex ed bill, you know, it was frustrating. So we spend money on um, having to, you know, run the initiatives and run campaigns when it just, you know, we, we elect these people to go and do their jobs. They do their jobs. And then, you know, we have to waste this time, which um, it's just ridiculous, but we have to, we have to do it. We have to keep fighting. Um, and there, you know, there's, there's always more that can be done from a progressive standpoint. Um, and the, you know, uh, the, the Washington Supreme Court is much more progressive than the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, they showed that with the Blake decision, which, um, you know, was over overturned punitive drug possession laws. And we shouldn't be afraid to make arguments that justify a progressive approach to taxation in this state. Um, I think what we saw in this session is just now something that we can continue to build on. I should hope that our state's uh, Supreme Court is more progressive than the national than the uh, the Supreme Court of the United States. Low bar, um, but yeah, absolutely right. Uh, I want, also want to talk about the Working Families Tax Credit. Uh, this was Representative Mulan Tai's bill. Um, super important. This one, Rich, just run down very quickly what it is, what it does. 
Yeah, uh, I think the money comes from the the cap and trade bill that uh, also got passed. But in in short, it uh, it's a tax rebate for the state's um, uh, low income residents. I think they'll see between three hundred uh, and twelve hundred uh, dollars um, sent back to them at the end of the year. It works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, and again, Chasty, as I mentioned, you know, this is super important and it's just one of those bills that just took way longer to the past than it should have any insight into why. I mean, this one is one of those ones that seems popular on, on, you know, both sides of the aisle. So why did this take so long? I think it goes back to who's in the room, you know, it goes back to the lived experiences and the, and I think also, you know, we, we elected really incredible people like like Representative Ty um, in uh, 2018. And, you know, it takes a minute for those folks to be able to, like, put forth what they need and to be able to, like, in the structure that is, um, you know, in and around the state legislature for them to be heard. And, you know, I think who we helped to back them up and support them, you know, really did help get that across the finish line. And I go back again to the pandemic, which is just, like, these things just you know, we've known them, but it put a spotlight in a different way. And, you know, I think with having the majority too, I think Democrats came in with a little bit less of the like, oh, let's be, we got to please the Republicans and being like, no, we got to get some shit done. And that is the right energy that we need to have whenever we have a majority. We should have a pandemic more often, I I think. (laughs) (laughs) No, we should just learn the lesson from the last year. And so we don't have to go through another year like this and um, keep building. You you were saying, Rich? Oh, just to build on that. uh, Yeah, I think, you know, they they passed the bill in, I think, 2008. They just didn't get around to funding it until this year. And I think that the, you know, the concern uh, from conservative Democrats and Republicans was just that if you give poor people money, you know, they're going to not spend it well. But then we had the pandemic and the federal uh, government just gave people money and they spent it on food, paying down their debt and landlords because they were, you know, got behind on rent. And then so, you know, you just had a, a, a real world, uh, you know, statistics uh, uh, to, to boot that sort of, uh, uh, you know, racist and classist thinking uh, out of the minds of uh, of more people than, than had uh, done before. And the Republicans really jumped on this as a kind of like, uh, uh, we're going to, you know, anything to lower taxes, you know, kind of thing. Uh, so that, you know, th- th- those two things helped too. I, I think they were just shocked that they didn't reinvest them in their own startups and take the money and just reinvest in whatever startup they're involved in, which is what you're supposed to do when, when you get the money. Um, from from the government. Uh, I also want to talk about uh, rental assistance and uh, tenant protections. This was super important, uh, especially as Jesse says, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, there were a number of bills that were proposed. Rich, just maybe run down briefly uh, which ones actually did wind up getting through. Yeah, uh, Senator Patty Cooterer at uh, at a Bellevue passed uh, uh, some changes to the Landlord Tenant Act state that would uh, guarantee a lawyer for all low-income residents uh, facing eviction. And that also sets up a dispute resolution centers. Uh, so when um, the eviction start happening, once the eviction moratorium lifts, um, you keep that process uh, out of the courts and you can hopefully keep uh, more people uh, housed. And then uh, Rep. Macri, passed uh, her just cause evictions bill, which is uh, 
uh, both of these, all of the bills that we're going to discuss are pretty astounding accomplishments just because renters' bills are a real slog uh, to get through the legislature. We have a very strong um, uh, uh, small landlord uh, lobbying group and a very strong big landlord lobbying group and a lot of the legislators themselves are landlords. And so it's, it's really hard to get anything done. But um, the thing that Macri got done was a, uh, a just cause, a statewide just cause bill. Um, before the bill passed, if you were a month to month tenant, a landlord could kick you out with 20 days notice and no reason at all. Now that the bill has passed, if you're on month to month, a landlord has to give you 60 days and they have to give you a good reason. Uh, that is it's huge. And so um, there was also um, uh, a document recording fee bill. Tim Ormsby is the budget head down there uh, in the house. That bill uh, puts a fee on filing certain documents with the government and raises $150 million uh, a year uh, to fund uh, permanent supportive housing uh, operations costs uh, some uh, money for the landlord mitigation fee that uh, landlords can uh, apply for this money whenever uh, a tenant trashes the, the property. Uh, and then also, and staggeringly important and significant, is it, it sets up a permanent funding source for uh, rent relief. So there's a lot of money um, uh, in there uh, in the budget for rent relief. Uh, a lot of it is federal, one-time federal dollars uh, to get over this you know, big um eviction, tsunami, flood, mountain, you know, pick your natural disaster that's going to be forthcoming once the moratorium lifts. Um, uh, But that's just one-time funding. And so having uh, a constant source of of money for renters who fall behind uh, in Washington is going to help keep uh, people more housed or keep, you know, people with a roof over their head longer and uh, hopefully slow um, the homeless crisis, which continues to pace. I know that a lot of people are wondering why not just keep the eviction moratorium in place for a little bit longer or a lot bit longer. Shasti, what do you think? Yeah, just keep it in place. Like we're we're not we're not done here, and and everyone who's ever studied even just like a basic class of economics knows that like there's often a lag in the impact of these things. So you know, even if we get the all clear to like return back to normal life. I think we've got another six months to a year where we're going to see, you know, people really struggling to pay rent and, and catch up and all of that. And so, yeah, like just keep the eviction moratorium in place. It, it, it's insane that we are going to have to go through a battle to try to keep that in place. Um, and then also, you know, that like landlords should have known that like <laughs> there's, it's going to be really expensive to have to prosecute and go through all these evictions rather than just like working out a payment plan and being good humans who are there and supportive um, of their tenants during this time. So, you know, it's just like some of this is just common sense um, and human decency. And it would be really nice if we didn't have to spend time arguing about this, but here we are. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you say, it's humane and additionally it's practical. Uh, So, Everybody, I said we were going to limit it to just police reform and progressive revenue. But before we go, I do want to give a shout out to just a few bills. Um, first term, Representative Tara Simmons bill, uh, restoring voting rights to people with felonies. Very big deal. Drew Hansen's public broadband bill. Very happy as somebody who lives in a rural area who currently is broadcasting via SIM card right now. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> Petty Cooter's uh, bill banning open carry at public demonstrations. 
why why did we even need to have this bill? Uh, but I'm I'm so glad that we do. So thank you to to uh, uh, Patty Cooter, uh, Rebecca Saldana's Heal Act, Joe Fitzgibbon's Clean Fuel Standard Bill, which we could build an entire show around, and then of course Ruben Carlisle's Cap and Trade. Uh, speaking of which, Rich, uh, you mentioned this in your in your your uh, reporting. How does it feel to get owned by Ruben Carlisle? Uh, it's so, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, um, you know, it's heart, it's heart rending. I, I had to take uh, the day off, uh, to recover. I actually, I got owned by, well, it's. Well, so tell us what happened. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it, well, what happened was, uh, so remember that document recording fee that we were just talking a little bit earlier about that raises $150 million a year for uh, permanent supportive housing uh, operations and also uh, a permanent source of uh, rent relief uh, yep. funding. Well, uh, Reuven Carlisle won't deny that he, uh, at one point during negotiations, uh, threatened to withhold his vote on that bill uh, in order to get his data privacy bill passed. Uh, it's a bill in the Senate uh, that would give us all more control over our data, uh, but that also insulated um, uh, big temp companies from uh, from being sued whenever they break one of the laws uh, in the bill. Uh, it's a, a long fight. Um, well, I guess it's been happening for a couple, maybe two or three years now in the legislature. The House uh, basically wants people to be able to sue com tech companies when they break the law. The, the Senate and uh, bill... Um, led by Carlisle, uh, does, uh, does not. Uh, and so just the idea that someone would withhold their vote for rental assistance and homelessness funding in order to get a bill through that would insulate tech companies from like lawyers uh, is wild to me. And that it's a Seattle senator is wild to me. Uh, that said, I, you know, that was what I heard. Carlisle's not denying it. I don't have a recording of Carlisle saying this, you know, so all of those caveats, but you know, it would be, it would be great to have some clarity on, um, you know, uh, Ruben playing hardball with some homelessness funding, but that's, uh, that's one thing. I also should mention equal opportunity owning, uh, well, yeah. And then he said, I, when I asked him about it, that is when I asked Carlisle about it over email, he basically dismissed it as a, a bit of palace intrigue reporting, uh, that, that didn't uh, quite matter. Um, so that was how I got owned by him. I have also been told that I have been owned by Phil Fortunato, uh, mm. one of the uh, all-stars we were talking about earlier. Uh, I, uh, during the de debate, God, he's a Senator on the, yeah, the, the Senate debate on, um, uh, on the, the, the climate action, Carlisle's, uh, uh, cap and trade bill. Uh, he was, that is, uh, for, uh, Fortunato was delivering some uh, some very light climate denial uh, uh, talking points, and then uh, suggested that he had a, an African friend, uh, and he had discussed climate policy with his African friend. Uh, and his African friend said that uh, he doesn't mind uh, more, you know, the Earth heating up. It's actually good uh, for him. I joked on Twitter that I would very much like to meet Phil Fortunato's African friend. And then I think over the weekend, Phil Fortunato's African friend gave a prayer to start uh, the Senate floor debate. So 
this person exists uh and <laughs> and i have been owned by phil fortunata but you know uh so it wasn't his girlfriend in canada the, open, the open invitation yeah exactly open invitation to uh to chat about climate policy with that person i haven't seen the, the tvw on it so i but I'm, I'm taking someone's word for it but uh owned twice you know well, but but for a good cause, we appreciate your coverage, my friend. Um, so that'll do it for this week. Uh, we've covered an awful lot of territory here. We hope it's been useful uh, to everybody. And uh, I will say thank you, Rich, for uh, for joining us this week. Well, thank you, Stefan. And thank you also, Shasti. And, and thank you. And, and congratulations, Shasti, again. Thank you very much. Good to be with you. Thanks, Rich. Cheers. All right. We'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye.